Welcome to the Where Two or Three podcast, Christian thinkers finding their place at the table of communication scholarship. Before we begin, the views and discussions of this podcast do not necessarily reflect agreement with the views of Martin Luther College. I think they will, but, but they do not necessarily. So let's uh, start as we usually do with uh, our standard prayer from the Psalms. We pray. The eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord, and thou givest them their food at the proper time. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desires of every living thing. Amen. Amen. You know, we started with this whole metaphor of going to a restaurant and fine dining, and we got all these different parts of our show, the appetizer and dessert and stuff. We've kind of gotten away from that, so maybe the prayer doesn't make as much sense to people anymore. But uh, so that's maybe anyway. if we, yeah, we just remind them, and then I'll try After, to sprinkle in some imagery, sure, like that into the into the course <laughs> of our discussion. So we have that, yeah, we have that mealtime prayer always. So for what that's but it's worth. been a. So it's been a few weeks for you, um, but it's been a few minutes for us for part two <laughs> of listening. Yeah, and you are sitting in a freezing apartment somewhere because you have to turn the air off. Is that what it is? It, yeah, is it's it? just horrendously loud. And I'm I'm actually sitting right by the vent you, because I guess this is like my work office. I, I like this spot because, especially in the wintertime, because... Um, well, actually, in all parts of the year, because it's either the AC or the heat. You just, you love it. You know, it's, you're either always too hot or too cold. So you got to, got to, I, I, I choose this spot because of that. But for recording purposes, it is just not a good situation. So I turn <laughs> it off. Um, but we'll be fine. I'm bundled up. Oh, boy. We'll have a virtual fireplace on my TV later tonight. It'll be great. Oh, that's great. So um, I did a podcast with... Uh, a person who I confirmed when he was in eighth grade back in the day when I was in Rockford, and and uh, he became a, he's become a counselor, professional counselor, and uh, with a strong background in psychology. So I did a podcast with him at Bethany Lutheran College a couple weeks ago, and so talk about podcasting studios. It was just <laughs> Bethany has it going on as far as uh, the yeah. latest communication technology. That was kind of that was fun. Not that I mind our current setup with our podcast, but uh, I'm sure anyway. with just a few more episodes, the sponsors will come rolling in. There you go. And we'll be recording them. We'll uh, we'll have video. We'll have supplemental material. It'll be the whole works. Everything. There you the go. The whole nine yards. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, that's one of the main reasons I reached out to you to have us recontinue our podcast is because I got that this fancy microphone with the extending arm, and I, we only used it one time, so I for <laughs> sure had to had to yeah. pick it up again. And I'm oh. actually I'm hopeful that um, with a new, uh, I mean this this distance thing has been kind of interesting, and this is the the I can't remember second or third episode that we've done. Uh, at a distance, mm-hmm. um, I guess the distance before was a bit limiting, but this might actually, uh, if this format keeps working out, we might be able to continue doing these more frequently. Yeah. Um, as uh, into into twenty twenty one. That'd be great. It's it's fun. So you told me our number of downloads is twenty five hundred, which again I, I've said it often. That just just surprises me. 
<laughs> who has the time to listen to us, John? Yeah, for sure. Even like throughout the summer and into fall, there were quite a few that I uh, that that were coming in, and it's like we were we're not even putting out content, but people are still interested, and it's uh, it's great. I yeah, it, it's maybe fun. find a new podcast to listen to. It's good to good to be listened to, I guess. Speaking of listening. <laughs> Oh, first I have news. I, f- I forgot to share my oh, personal oh. news with you. I am a grandfather, oh. John. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's a corgi. So it's not a human <laughs> baby. <laughs> Egg and Keenan. I, here I am. Here I am thinking there was some great news oh, that I haven't heard news. from. What from, are you talking about? great news. I, no, some. We got this little corgi puppy named Charlie. Evie and Keenan up in the Twin Cities. And we they were just at our house. All, all, we call ourselves We Six. We have a page on Facebook, We Six. So there's six of us now. But they were, we were all together at a house for like five straight days. And, oh, that's great. And the center of attention was this little corgi puppy. So, <laughs> no, congratulations are in order. We, we're loving it. Yes, we're absolutely. Loving this dog. Congratulations um, as you are in this new phase of life now <laughs> as, a, as a grandfather. <laughs> Thank you. It's actually not unlike what I hear about becoming a grandparent. I thought, where you don't yeah. have any of, the, any of the work. You have all just the fun, and it's very true with this, with this yeah. gorgeous little puppy. So he's oh, just a, the light of their lives. And so, anyway, don't get me started on dogs. So what is it about dogs? What, what's going we've on? We've had there? we've had a few conversations. About, oh, we have probably yeah. Um, like what is a dog thinking? You know. Right. When, That's right. We've talked about this before. I think, yeah. I don't. I can't remember on the podcast or not. I specifically remember in cross country we were discussing some stuff on the way up to Duluth or something. It's like, what is a dog like? You see, like videos of dogs being very emotional about like, you know, owner passed away or something, or like someone comes home. It's like you, there can't be nothing going on there. Yeah, no, there's, I, some, there's something I, going on. I'm pretty sure we've talked about this on the broadcast or on the podcast. So. <laughs> the broadcast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the relationship between different, whole different kinds of creatures being so mysterious. Um, anyway, so yeah. um, let me lead up to a devotional thought. First of all, with a question I'm going to throw at you, John. It's an honest question. I don't really know what the answer is fully to this, but and that will get us into a, a verse from Galatians 6. But the question is as follows. Um, I'm dimly aware of some research that looked at, has looked at Fortune 500 companies and what they are looking for in their top-level executives as far as the profile of qualities. And it's interesting, interesting to watch how those lists have changed over the years. So things like sense of humor has been rising on all kinds of these lists uh, as something really significant, you know, to... The things you can do with humor that you can't do otherwise and so on. But um, virtually the top of every list that there is, the last time I saw this research, virtually every list there is has listening skills as the number one quality or capability companies are looking for in their top-level executives. And so I always I pose a question often to my students, and I don't have an answer all worked out, but the question is, why is listening that important? So why does it rise to that level? Um as something recognized in uh, the world, in the corporate world especially, as being significant. So you got you want to take a crack at that? Yeah, I mean, that is an interesting question because I think kind of as I was experiencing last episode, there are some of these things that are sort of ineffable 
in that it's hard to put to words why this is important or what you're experiencing or the different kinds of experiences that you that you're going through um but i would imagine it's rather similar to why humor is important and i i wonder if there's a a link or a relationship there um i did not know that humor was um important for top level executives but it is good to know so i will well, keep that in mind well it's a certain well, kind but I think, of humor it's, it's right yeah, it's not think, biting humor it's it's a self effacing mm-hmm. humor and irony and and so on that yeah. lets you approach certain topics mm-hmm. and diffuse like certain situations yeah yeah a yeah. light a lightheartedness about it and i think i wonder if being able to listen is like a prerequisite to that sort of way of being where um, in order to have that sort of lightheartedness, you have to be able to be uh, reading the other people in the room or um, hearing the what they're saying or feeling the, the moods that people are in and being able to like sort of take all of that into account before you, you go about you know, saying what you do that has that lighthearted feel about it. I, I think um, I you're think, right. It's an incredibly yeah. sophisticated skill set to use humor in the right way. Just as you're saying, yeah, the way you're reading yeah. a situation, the way you're taking in all the context and all the history the group may have and, and just know the right way to cut through that with with uh, incongruity, the, whatever incongruity it is that you're kind of basing your, your humor on. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and to answer your question, I guess, um, why is listening so high on the list or why is it important? Yeah, I don't know if I can. I mean, that seems like dissertation level material for why. Uh, <laughs> right. And so, we said in the last episode, this is understudied. It really. Yeah. Maybe scholars really don't have the full answer to that. Yeah. And so that would be, you know, I've yet to go get a doctorate so maybe in the future if i go that'll be one of the things that i am considering about like researching more but um as to like right now why it's important i mean i think it is kind of like a gateway to deepening a conversation a relationship um sure it's it's kind of a yeah we think about the kind of influence you have or don't have, the sense that someone hears me or the sense that someone doesn't hear me. They don't know anything about me or my point of view or the sense that this person really gets it. I just would think there's a whole component of being able to move and persuade people. And I, I've often thought, too, of how, do, how does someone grab hold of the complexity of an organization or what's really happening in that place? How, how do you get that apart from being someone that's safe to question, yeah. someone able to hear things, including hard things, mm-hmm. unflattering things. You know? And that's, yeah, that's interesting coming, like or, an organizational mindset. You're, you're typically looking at lots of different signals or indicators and, and gathering all that information to, to make decisions based on data mm-hmm. is kind of how it, it kind of reduces everything down to a, a quantitative task but to have a very qualitative task like listening skills listed uh, i think i think that the fact that it's risen to the top is not insignificant and so um i don't know i will leave my answer as sort of pending but i think uh it is not uh yeah it's certainly worth 
discussing and d- diving into further? Well, I offer it sort of as a rhetorical almost, and the rhetorical question sort of is if that, uh, if the corporate world or people in that context recognize that listening is that important, then it would be ironic and 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 more than ironic if we in the church did not see it, you know, did not yeah. see this as just a critical component um, to all of our skill sets. Absolutely. And like how, how much more so, I think. Right. How much yeah. more so? Um, especially when the scriptures approach this in all kinds of different ways. And one way to not forget about my devotional thought, which I almost did, Galatians 6 to carry each other's burdens and in this way you will f- fulfill the law of Christ. So just like when James says everybody should be quick to listen, so to speak, he has something specific in mind. In that case, it's when we're angry. And when we're in strong disagreement that we he wants us to not lose our patience and just start venting. Um, this one has a context as well. It's part of, sort of the context of people who are undergoing some kind of severe temptation. So there's a context, but the verse itself still stands on its own. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And what I like about that, sort of as a contrast to the Fortune 500 example, is uh, this is not just totally pragmatic. It isn't saying, here's all the things that will go better for you if you will just, you know, listen well to people and help them carry their burdens. It just says this fulfills the law of Christ. And that's reason enough. It's reason enough. We maybe will get into in this episode the imitation of God that we're called to in Ephesians. Well, what can that mean? It has to be the imitation of Jesus. We can't imitate God in creating the world and being omnipresent and things like that. But we can look at Christ, who is first our Savior, but he... but. Uh, he is, in a secondary way, also our example, and we sh- we shouldn't sort of forget that. You know, we are we are to be watching Jesus and how he's interacting and how he's treating people and how he's conducting himself. And there's all kinds of stuff we could maybe get into about Jesus as a listener. I think every single micro skill you can think of, asking open questions and you know reflecting feeling, paraphrasing content, you know, saying to. Martha, 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 you're worried about many things. Well, that's a reflection of feeling. That's what he sees in her face that he put, puts words to. I think he paraphrases content before Pilate. Pilate mm-hmm. says, so you are a king. Jesus says in the Greek, he says, literally, you're saying I'm a king. So he does that skill too. Or First time he met Peter, he says, what are you looking for? This, this profound open question to Peter. First sentence he spoke to the apostle Peter was, what are you looking for? You know, so anyway, uh, what, what? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm cool. sure those will come up. Have it, like, to me, every time I think about looking at Christ's words and actions from a communication perspective, it's like there's a masterclass of like what to do, and there's such a depth and breadth to the situations and the types of you know people he's talking to, or is he talking to a group? Is he talking to someone one on one? Um. Is he praying? Like, there's just so much to unpack there. So, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, former colleague who now is in heaven, uh, the 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 much beloved Dan Deutschlander, he he had a special love for the Gospel of Mark, and so his observation is when Jesus is on his Jesus is on his way to the home of Jairus, who sent word about his sick daughter, but on the way they're delayed by this woman who had. Uh, the issue of blood, the old translation said, some kind of blood disease, some kind of bleeding problem. And uh, 
Anyways, one, one of the moments in that exchange as he heals this woman, it just says in, that she told him everything. There's just that one little line. She told him everything. So here Jairus is waiting, but something's going on there in the kind of attention Jesus paid. Something that made him, made her, I don't know, get the message, go on, go on, you know, I'm here. And he, the way he took the time in that particular moment, because it must have taken a while to tell him everything. That doesn't happen mm -hmm. in 30 seconds, you know. So fascinating yeah. to think about. There is a master class, as you say, going on. And, and listening is only one component, but not, a, not an insignificant one. For sure. So, awkward pause. <laughs> as we listen to each other. Yeah. Um, uh, let me think where I was going to go with that. So, yeah, I've been telling the story in uh, class for years. I'm not even sure where I got it anymore, but uh, it kind of goes like this. And this, here, too, I have a question for you. This one I didn't prepare you for. Okay. So, okay. this story is so awful, it sounds made up. It's just so terrible to contemplate. But the stories of two little boys and uh, their friends, I think they're like seven years old, something like that. And there was a house fire. Remember this from class? I don't know if this is a long time ago. I wouldn't expect you to remember that. Mm. But uh, So a house fire, one of the boys dies in the house fire. And the other boy just uh, closes down, just completely shuts down um, as far as communicating. And it presents a very difficult situation where those are, are trying to help him. In this case, it was a pastor trying to help a child who's not saying anything at all. And so after some weeks of just doing the best he could, um, the story begins to come out. And the boy who survived says, tells the pastor that the boys had had a fight the night before the house fire. And the boy kind of hints at having bad thoughts toward his friend and... Did he maybe want something bad to happen? Well, maybe it just kind of comes out, you know, and um, little fits and starts what the story is. And I suppose the pastor feeling the pressure of what in the world to say to this child, you know, finally has something he can respond to. And so the pastor said whatever he said about, well, this isn't your fault. You know, that's not how this works or whatever he happened to say. Uh, turned out that the boy retreated again within himself, whatever little private torture was going on, he fell silent for a whole another length of time. And so I don't know where to pause this story and have you react to it. Like, what do you think's going on here? Um, do you have anything to say or should I continue? Yeah, <laughs> like, I guess. What's, what's like, going on here? What do you, what do you, what's your in instinct tell you about? What? Well, I guess the, my impression would be that, you know, the last interaction between this boy and his brother was one of um hostility and that the I, I could imagine that the dominating thought would be like either that was what caused the fire to happen or in some way i'm responsible for for bringing this on right. or that um the last moment that you had in the relationship while you were both were alive is the defining one and I guess I'm not in the in the shoes of the pastor there, but I can certainly see the potential for um, or the the reason for like being troubled. Like, what do you, what do you say? Mm -hmm. What do you say in the moment? 
they're like, how do you, how do you actually make like an impactful, positive impact on this, on this child in that moment? And so that's where exactly. And what else could you conclude about the story based on what you have heard so far? So it's going to lead into our discussion of seek first to understand. And, you know, it's that instinct again to say to yourself, I'm going to understand this as well as I can. I'm going to take all the time it takes in, in no hurry to take on the pressure, what to say. I'm just going to, I'm just going to hear this. If the pastor had just done that, it might've turned out a little better because there's a rest of the story. <laughs> so the oh, rest no. of this, the rest of the story is, um, after the next period of time, um, elapsed, the real story came out and that was that the boys had had, a fight the night before the house fire that was true um the rest of the story is that they had had plans to have a sleepover this is what sounds so terrible it just sounds made up because it's so awful but they had had a plans had plans to have a sleepover and the boy who survived said to the boy who died you're not coming to my house tonight you know and so holy cow it's just horrible (laughs) horrible thing to contemplate you know, and so you think, you, you replay the story in your mind, you think of everything the pastor said from a shallow understanding kind of missed the mark or even or even made things worse. If he had just said, oh, thank you for telling me that, that was hard. Just reflect a feeling. If he'd just been silent, you know, so obviously the, the simple insight into, for example, how people confess their deepest, darkest secrets is they just don't put the whole thing out there at one time. They don't just say the scariest thing on their mind in one moment. It's going gonna, it's gonna to unfold, right? And so I used to story to tell students just to, to want to distinguish yourself as someone that goes further than everything you really have to go. Uh, a lot of people would fall short and they'd think, I know enough and I can begin speaking now, but that you would distinguish yourself as going further than a person would ever think they'd need to go. And just staying in that mode of, you know, I'm going to understand this as well as I can. So that was unfair yeah. to throw that story at John. I realize now in hindsight. No, I mean, that's... Put that I mean, it's certainly... You. Well, I think it illustrates the... Um, the the illustration very well, or the position uh-huh. that specifically, like, the pastor would be in, in that, like, he's not ready. He doesn't know what's going on. And so... What you do when you're confronted with a situation and you may or may not know, like, what should I be saying? So, like, if I can, I can, you feel the burden, I think. Exactly. If you, if you focus it on it like that, you can feel the burden that way. So, definitely. So, I I was looking forward to doing this, uh, bringing this topic into the church specifically. I came across some research years ago that I put in front of students often, and and that is research that suggests that people tend to find relief when they go to professional helpers. They tend to find relief at roughly the, the same rate, no matter what the school of thought the counselor subscribes to. So it could be Jungian or Rogerian or whatever it might be. It just doesn't seem to matter as far as how many people find relief from going to those people. And the way the research has gone is they'll ask the professional helper. Uh, so they take a they study cases in which people found relief from their painful thinking or whatever it might have been. And uh, the question is to what do you describe the reason that you were able to help this person? And the research shows over and over that the professional helpers are going to tend to talk about their school of thought or the 
you know, I'm Jungian, you see, or, or the professional application of skills. And that's what they think is uh, what the success is owing to. But then they ask the people who were helped, to what do you ascribe the fact that you found, found comfort and relief and, and the ability to cope? And they will consistently say, somebody listened to me. And um, yeah. they, will, they will say, even though it was a paid friend, so to speak, and this is not to diss that profession. I, 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 I love the professional counseling and thought about doing it myself for a long time. But it's just to say that something's going on there that kind of has tended to kind of rock the community of counselors because this has been repeated many times in different studies. Um, one study I, I had has this, has this conclusion let me just read this to you. I've got it in front of me. The simple incontrovertible truth, it seems to me, is that if you are anorexic or depressed or if you're experiencing difficulties with significant people in your life, this is a scholar who looked at 50 years of psychotherapy and, and uh, the results of that. He says, chances are that you will feel better if you talk to someone you trust. And that's such a simple expression that just sounds like homespun wisdom, but again, really quite... Um, shocking in that community that the thought that all oh, we're really doing or most of what we're doing is just listening you know so where i'm going with the question is just not again not in any way to dis professional helpers we need those people um as a pastor myself i know i was often in the deep water so to speak i was dealing with things i just didn't understand i didn't know nearly enough about the pathology of anorexia or manic depression you know my knowledge is an inch deep and so I had to know how to refer people to get the help they need, you know. But at the same time, the the my premise is that there is more of significant good that we can do for each other within the church, apart from the application of professional professional um, skills. More of significant good we can do for people. Just one Christian attending to another, you know, in a way that's informed by the grace of God and the love of Christ, that we can really mean more to each other in the church than we realize. So um, yeah. I can have more to say about that, but let me let me let you jump in here and react to. Yeah, I think it's like, so far. I mean, yeah. it's a great a great question. Like if so, if the research in all of the you know retrospective of um, therapy is that the primary cause for people. Um, getting better is that someone's listening. Uh, I think asking like, okay, so now in, in my Christian life, maybe apart from therapy, not to say that therapy isn't, um, useful or even necessary. Um, I think it certainly is, but there are certainly also other things that we can take away from that understanding that also are beneficial mm -hmm. not to like be a replacement but to be a, like an additive as right. like uh, like what else so if this is what's really important and this is what's really um kind of driving people's uh mental and spiritual health you know what tools can i take away from that and what what skills can i start to develop that um also help people again, not as a, a replacement, but as a, just like a general, you know, care and concern and well-being for for the people around me. That's exactly what I'm what I'm trying to get at too. You know, um, 
Yeah, it's, it's sort of the question of do I ever sort of disqualify myself and take my hands off? So let's say I'm a pastor and I have someone dealing with one of these pathologies, just really something devastating like manic depression, which is just the hardest thing uh, I think I've ever seen people go through. So the question of carefully referring to someone who, for example, can, can diagnose and prescribe medicine, which I can't do, carefully making that referral to uh, some professional that won't treat the person's faith as their problem and, you know, go about dismantling that. But what I'm talking to my students about often is why would you never take your hands off? Why would you never make that careful referral to people that can, that have way more expertise and way more knowledge? Why would you never make that referral but then just say, well, I got nothing to say to this um, and take your hands off? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great, um, I think they supplement each other very well. Mm-hmm. Like having a solid community of uh, people who are aligned in your faith, Christian friends, close family members, however it may be in, in your church or surrounding community. And then also having, um, whether Christian or not, a person who's uh, more or less isolated from that. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get, um, you know, might be more comfortable saying things to someone who's uh, more or less under oath to not share those things with other people or um, you get confidentiality. Uh, I think all of these are great things to, they add on each other. Nothing is subtractive or or replacatory. Is that even a word? Replacatory, definitely. Replacatory. But I I think you're right. You know, people who gather around this suffering person each seeing this person's need from their own perspective and each having different skill sets and different resources. But if you're suffering from one of those uh, really dis- uh, debilitating things, is that a word? Debilitating? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. More, more so than replacatory. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure it is. But um, I've just kind of thought, how much more, no matter what you're going through, how much more don't you still need to hear from what God reveals in his word, you know, in his love and his grace for you, how much, no matter what it is, how much more don't you still need that? So again, that the, the, the Christian never just kind of walks away saying, well, I don't know about this issue, so I've got nothing to say. So I guess what I'm kind of getting at is imagine a scenario where I'm, let's say, let's say I'm talking to a person who she uh, has gone through years and years and years of just painful self-talk and self-loathing and just really horribly painful thinking. And let's say I were to spend 50 minutes just applying the listening skills we're about to talk about and kind of go through, just asking the right questions the best I can and paraphrasing content and reflecting feeling and just truly, truly attending one soul to another. And as the thing began, I don't have any agenda as far as what this is what this is about or what she needs. But as I listen to her, an agenda kind of does form in my mind. And let's say with five minutes at the end, I open my Bible based on what I've heard. Let's say Ephesians 3, how, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And spin my Bible around and push it across the table to her and say, just would you read from here to here? And I just have her read those verses and um, quietly apply them. Just kind of let those words hang in the air and just quietly apply why I chose them for her. You know, I'm thinking of, of a person that will come back a, a month later and just say, Pastor, I haven't felt this kind of relief. 
I don't know how long. And so what I'm getting at is it just can feel counterintuitive, sort of how significant that is. Again, this is not professional tools. This is not, you know, the application of what person learned in grad school. This is just one Christian attending to another, really hearing, um, and then applying the Word of God in the simplicity of, you know, in the simplicity of faith, that that is more significant than we tend to realize. So that's my point, is not to say anything about professional counseling that we don't need them, because we sure do. But for the Christian to realize, um, we've got these resources within the church that I, I, I think we tend to minimize or tend to underestimate. Absolutely. Um, I think... I mean, maybe this is one place where I think thinking about it quantitatively is kind of helpful. Is like every little thing that you can stack in someone's favor in terms of helping them, why would you not? Mm-hmm. So, you know, lots of little conversations, lots of different people, all all with the same uh, direction or motive, I think is, is a wonderful thing. It's a yeah. great blessing. So, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, so the last uh, follow-up on that is uh, thinking about what the Christian view of the soul is, that it really is something in a way bigger than just thinking of people as sort of damaged psychological things that get broken and need professional knowledge to to figure them out and fix them. There's this truth to that. There's, There's something to that for sure, but I think the biblical view that what people really are is separated souls. Uh, I think that goes a little deeper to the core. So sinners as separated souls that need to be brought back together for them to really come alive and come into their own as God intended them. So it's just, does that make sense? It's kind of a different view that what people really are is if all of humanity is like a jar, clay jar that was shattered, well, you don't take an isolated piece of that clay pot and just fix it in isolation. It it needs to be brought back together with, with other other souls, frankly. And so we're just trying to tease out what is it about that the Christian has in the simplicity of listening and the simplicity of applying the Word of God, you know, that that uh, is potentially quite profound. Absolutely. I mean, this rings of, uh, it's, it's Buber-esque, if you will. Mm-hmm. If I'm going on a spree of making up words, it's, uh, <laughs> it, you're more than just a, um, a bundle of like a mass of cells that has some neurons firing in inappropriate ways. Mm-hmm. There's there's something more there, right. and so bringing that to the table and being able to offer that is a uh, certainly helpful. Yeah, at seminary we had had the German phrase "privat Seelsorge," which is the individual or private Seelsorge. <laughs> so the Zales- individual oh. <laughs> or private care of souls. What I'm getting at here yeah I, I, I see you chuckling at me across we have a zoom zoom meeting open right now and I, i'd see that but the individual care so I, years ago i remember that happened at a, the at a, a school nearby where a child was being bullied on the playground and they found her oh they found her in the closet in the classroom fetal position and she had scraped the words i suck into her wrist and i, I often think about that child and think about what does she need Obviously, she needs to needs the gospel. She needs to hear again that she has been reconciled to God through Christ and is precious to Him, and all of that. I think in God's own economy, 
it tends to be that he would have her receive that kind of wrapped in human skin, that this message of the love of God would come to her from somebody who sees her, somebody who understands, someone who hurts, feels it with her, you know, and yeah. that... Um, it's just, I'm just finding more ways to say the same thing. That is significant. The gospel come, coming wrapped in a relationship. I've, I've often thought that uh, someone who really, really struggles in life, what they can, how they can benefit from one single, healthy, wholesome, godly, Christ-obsessed, Christ-saturated relationship, just one relationship. And I would think one of the essential qualities that one relationship a person um could be transformed by, again, is listening. It is attending. Um, attending um, with all the skills and with all the, with all the heart that we can muster. For sure. So, yeah. We're Bef before we here. move on, I think uh, cool. one thing I have noticed about, I don't know a lick of German other than a few like passing terms, but it does, the language does seem to have a way with being able to draw out the like essence of a certain emotion or feeling or uh, something that in English might otherwise be ineffable. It does have like a, a certain, like the vocabulary is very uh, attuned to that sort of way of being, I think is uh, fascinating. So, Yeah, I studied German for uh, several years and it didn't work for me. I could never get the word order. So speaking as a novice, I think you're right that German has a way of squishing words together in long chains. It's a single word, privat selsorge, you know, private yeah. soul care, or mention care we've talked about. It's just, yeah. it's a single word, man, no, where we can just yeah. just uh, have these words collide together and then have rich, rich meanings. I mean, my favorite word is uh, Zinzucht. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah this is, my company's name is has that in it. So it's... Yeah, that's I right. I think it's, I think it's fascinating. Um, yeah. But anyway, I digress. Or Schaden, Schadenfreude, another example. Schadenfreude. <laughs> you know? um, uh, so, there's um, great, yeah. Where was I going with this? I, I suppose if, uh, if a person buys into the premise that really listening to people is a rare gift, that the gift we just described of being really fully known, fully understood, attended to, is rare, the question that begs is, why is it so rare? Like, What's getting in the way of people actually really listening to each other? And we've talked plenty of technology is one of the things that's eroding empathy skills and eroding perspective taking and eroding, you know, being fully present with other people. Uh, what else comes to mind for you, John, as far as why well, so rare? I guess, yeah, one of the things that we have talked about um, maybe in private conversation before was the idea that, like, um, we think that we can be doing multiple things at the same time or like I can be like passively listening to someone and that that will be just as effective as being fully engrossed and, and engaged in what they're talking about and that like I can kind of multitask my way through this or that it like I guess it's just a maybe it's a, dif a difference of values where you don't think that or, or you think you can kind of do both things at the same time or whatever whatever else it is that you're doing right. but that can actually um, be detrimental in that. Um, I mean, the myth of being able to multitask, yeah. like your attention is either one place or another place. And even, I mean, even computers, I think, you know, unless you have like a 
multiple computers running at the same time, but like one computing unit is only ever working on one problem. Mm-hmm. And I think we're the same way. Um, we're just a lot slower in that we can be giving our attention fully to one thing, um, especially high level stuff like being able to be fully engaged in what someone else is saying. I mean, I think that's a task in terms of like what's going on in your brain, as we kind of talked about last episode with the the high road and the low road. There's so much going on that is uh, important. It's not this, like if you're driving down the road and listening to music or a podcast or something, it's, those are very low level skills and where like the, the amount of attention you need to like keep the car going in a straight line is rather minimal. So the amount of attention that you have to give to that task can be done in a fraction of a second. And then you can kind of forget about it as you, you know, listen to whatever's on the radio or whatever podcast or whatever you're listening to. Sure. Um, well, the other thing but, I've heard about that, I'm sorry, keep going. Cause I'm tight. So the other, my love for German now, all of a sudden, um, the listening skills to me seem to be much more akin to like driving a race car where you're always kind of like on the edge or like flying a jet plane in tandem with other, you know, jets in like a formation or something where you're, those people are not listening to music at the time. They're fully engaged in what they're doing. Same with like any sports player, maybe before the game, you get yourself psyched up with some music, but when you're on the field or you're on the court, you're not thinking about music or what's going to get you. You're fully engaged. If you're doing, if you're, operating at maximum potential, you're fully engaged in what you're doing. And I think as, you know, passive as listening may seem, it is actually an active trait. And so being able to give your full attention to it is, is really, uh, really important. I, I agree. I think your whole mind is occupied with what a person is saying to you, what it means to them and what, what, what the dynamite question, open question is to ask next and so on. <coughs> um, it's a fully absorbing and consuming task when you really understand what it is. I, I think I'd heard heard it put this way that it used to be a myth that we only use 10% of our brains and so on. But I think the other 90% of our brain is really making certain kinds of things like driving a car possible. So it's sort of a sub sub level of things that are happening. But you're so right that anything with true cognitive complexity, we can only do one at a time. And I think that's is one issue that gets in the way if we think we can do more. <coughs> Excuse me. That's all right. Um, yeah, so, I mean, other things that could be getting in the way, I think, could maybe be summed up by ego or someone just th- not thinking as highly of the other person as themselves. Mm-hmm. And maybe a lot of the other problems would be rooted in that, um, like a personal um, agenda or like you're trying to get something from this other person or you're more focused on yourself or uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to, I think a lot of the other problems could be rooted in, you know, uh, like a like an ego that, that you have. Um, yeah, it also think... could just be capability too, um, where you maybe don't have all of the processing power at a certain time. Maybe like maybe your life is very stressful too. And so you know, it, it might not be selfishly so, but you might not be able to 
um, fully engaged because you have a lot of other signals coming at you too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of reasons that uh, a lot of things get in the way of listening, but there's kind of a bottom line of if I recognize the true value of someone, well, I know how to treat them. You know, I know how to treat people when I recognize their importance. And so I think there ultimately is a selfishness and a self-absorption that uh, the needs of other people maybe don't reach me because of my own preoccupations and so on. And so, you know, to come back to how Jesus listened to people, he didn't need to study IPC or interpersonal communication. Didn't need to <laughs> didn't need to do any of that because of that deeper recognition of people and their worth to him. So that's kind of a gut check on our own listening skills is it really does kind of come down to how important people are um, and learning to see them that way because of the value that God put in us, frankly, um, the un, un, incomprehensible value that he found in us, enough to give his son. So that is uh, that's our reason to think about listening and to want to develop this set of skills as part of our part of our default, right? Yeah, and maybe like to kind of summarize all of it, maybe like the barriers that come up are a result of like an absence of love mm-hmm. where it's, it's uh there's something missing, whether it's intentional or unintentional. There's just a, there's a, a piece that could be there. Mm-hmm. That is um, it's, it's not as, not as good because it's not. So, I mean, that just goes back to Galatians six verse two for me is uh, like, to me, that verse is kind of speaking towards the law, but the law is to love one another. And so the failures that we have, like sin is a, I mean, I guess that kind of got ethereal, but the, if, if we could love perfectly, we wouldn't have any listening problems. I'll put it that way. <laughs> okay. So um, let's uh, segue to our big picture concept. Um, this borrows on Stephen Covey. One of the seven habits of highly effective people. But the more I think about this, the more I see it as really a game changer um, as far as our own communication goes. So, again, the principle is seek first to understand, then, and you can underline then, then, and only then, to be understood. So that's that's the big idea. And it, I, it, it goes something like this. Let me be able to explain to you better than you, than you can explain it yourself. Um, what a certain thing means to you or what it's about or how it feels or how it looks. So the example I've, I've thought of is, remember a lady in my church who was contemplating being the first African-American, African-American member of our congregation. And something made that very difficult for her. Something made that incredibly difficult for her. And so let me be able to explain it to her better than, better than she can explain it herself what this is and what it means. And and um, then and only then to take on the other pressure of what in the world to say to her. You know, so as I said before, my words are weak when I speak from a shallow understanding of what's in front of me. I will tend to, to, will tend to talk past each other. I'll tend to be addressing what is not the real issue for you until I come to that kind of understanding. Now, the it's an ideal which is impossible to achieve, but it still is an ideal that um, I find kind of informative, you know, so. Yeah, I think it points you in the right direction sure. in terms of what are we trying to accomplish when we're truly listening to someone. 
And let me go further than you might think you need to go. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and just my instinct is that there's more to this story that I haven't yet heard. And and we'll, we'll each come to a different conclusion that we think we know enough to begin speaking to the thing. But uh, to go further, maybe, than we might think we have to is the idea. So I'll often have students, um, they present me with a scenario like we're before spring break or before Christmas break. And a student will say, yeah, I'm going to see my brother at home and he's just making all kinds of terrible choices. And, you know, and the question is always from the student to me, the question is always, what do I say? What do I say to my brother? And I'll often give this, this very same speech at that point. I'll say, just go, go to see your brother and don't even worry about what to say. You know, I tell my students, you are theologically trained. You're becoming more and more so. I'm just not that worried about you having good things to say. But if you just say to yourself, set that aside for now and just say, doggone it, I'm going to understand this kid. I'm going to understand him. And at some point I'm going to say to him, so I, th- I think what I see is this. It looks like this to you and here's how it feels to you and here's here's what it's like for you and, and give this whole... There's this whole kind of sort of long paraphrase, I suppose, of content. But to have him say, that's it, he's going to say, that's it. That's exactly it. And you've just given him a great gift. And now when you begin to speak, you know, maybe tentatively at first, but you begin to speak, um, it just has all the more potential to be the right words at the right time, like the Proverbs talks about. So, yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess that kind of... For, for me, that goes back to kind of the story you were talking about at the beginning where, you know, if you're a pastor wondering about what to say to this seven-year-old, you could easily find yourself heavily burdened by this, like, idea that me saying something is what is going to help make this problem go away mm-hmm. or help the situation get better. And I think um, maybe going back to last episode where you had the, the story that you were talking um, about it that you started out with where the uh, I can't remember it was a woman was being not harassed but like uh, sort of presented with a lot of reasons why she should become a Christian and there was a lack of understanding from her point of view and then that you took the time to listen and were then able to I thought it was interesting that the words came to you more naturally, and I found that mm-hmm. that's similar in situations where, you know, if you if you spend the time and put the effort towards listening to something, the the what to say becomes more natural. It becomes less of this pre thought out, tactful sort of communication. It becomes much more of uh, it flows and it 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 fits in the conversation uh, much easier. I think. Um, not to say that, you know, the listening part is, is always easy all the time. It's often, um, I mean, I think it's hard for me to relate to some people sometimes, but um, more often than not, what to say comes much more naturally after listening. So. Yeah, it, it yeah. really does. I, you know, if all we were doing sometimes is just kind of stalling, <laughs> I don't know what in the world to say to this person. So I'll come back with an open question. Even that's really powerful, you know, just just as far as how listening skills take the pressure off of wondering what to say. So, again, I keep referring to my students with this episode because it just, it, it is um, <clears throat> the most important component of the communication that I teach is the listening one. 
And so I asked them to think about all the situations in the public ministry that they kind of dread. They look forward to this thing and think, what in the world am I going to say when this happens? What will I say when that happens? And I'll just say, it really is marvelous if you think about the way this takes the pressure off of that. Um, don't even worry about what to say. Say to yourself, I'm going to understand this. I don't care how long it takes me. I... So for me, I mean, it's, it's really true. As a communicator, the pressure that comes off, for example, if I'm being invited to intervene in a marriage that's just dis at some disastrous place that can hardly be in the same room together without screaming, and it's just totally 11th hour, you know. And it, it used to be that I could feel enormous pressure to be brought into that situation, and now i got to try to fix all this. But I can honestly say it isn't pressure for me. I, I just say to myself, again, doggone it, I say, I'm going to understand this. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care if meeting five times, ten times. I don't care. I'm going to understand this as well as I possibly can by the application of these skills, and in particular the, the power of the open question, you know. And so, like you're saying, the, the words come. And sometimes I find myself telling myself to hold them back because they're starting to come, but I ask myself, am I there yet? Am I ready yet, you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, for better or for worse, I think that what we say often says more about us than it does about the people that we're talking to. And, and so if we start saying things without really understanding where the other person is coming from or the topic that we're going to be talking about or the situation that they're you know, facing in front of them, it can be very, I mean, it's almost self-explanatory how the barriers will, will come up and then how the, like the attention and focus is shifted in the, into the wrong place. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of, on the one hand, it can be a very intense thing to, to kind of slide into this mode of listening very, very actively. On the other hand, it's just a day-to-day -day skill too, right? So, you know, if you're afraid of being criticized, let's say, all you need to do is respond with active listening. So you, someone criticizes you and you just say, you know, let me make sure I understand this. And you can be really non-defensive. And so you're saying this to me, do I have this right? You're saying this to me and you just paraphrase it all right back. And I just really think by handling that moment well with listening, you can end up having the trust go high, higher. You end up gaining things in that relationship just because you handle it in that way you know so it just you know thinking of all the things that might scare a person you know the objections that come from from uh, let's say skeptics or people who are atheists or whatever it's the same thing let me just ask as often as i need to so tell me what you mean by that you say this church is full of hypocrites explain that to me or i can ask as often as i want to questions having to do, having to do with well how have you come to think that Tell me how you've reached this conclusion, you know, and I can just stay in that mode until things start to become clear, clear for me. I can have a kind of patience about that, that, that uh, good things to say will come again. For sure. In fact, one example, I, uh, a man who said the church is full of hypocrites, and we talked about that for quite a long time. You know, so what do you mean by that? Hypocrite and so on. Um it was kind of crazy because we ended up really agreeing with each other. I said, Jesus, Jesus said the same thing. You know, there's weeds among the wheat and bad fish among the good. And he's more bothered by this than you are, <laughs> you know. And so what we talked about this um, in circles and finally, almost in desperation, the active listening skill of reflecting feeling came to mind. That I just kind of said, you know, Joe, I agree with you, but you seem so angry. 
And with that reflection of feeling, that kind of opened the gate. And he said, you're blank, blank, right, I'm angry. And then out came the real story. The real story was his church wouldn't bury his father. And so I'm not saying the conversation got easy. It's just now we're finally having the right conversation because it wasn't about the yeah. presenting thing. It wasn't about hypocrisy. It was about something much more personal and much more mm -hmm. difficult. So there, too, it's just the pressure's off. I just want to understand where he's coming from. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Not that it's going to be easier, but I do. listening is like a gateway into the, the deepening of a relationship or a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And And so... I mean, there's always going to be a taller mountain than the one that you've just scaled, but there's you're you're on to the next one, and you can start working on that one and listening towards that mm -hmm. one too. So, so what are some of the other um, specific skills that we can present that people can take away for how to um, how to kind of make a a day to day impact in the in the conversations or or relationships that they have. Yeah, I mean, the day-to-day -day thing, I, th I think we all kind of maybe struggle with this. It's called making the switch to listening, a complete switch. So in any conversation, you're kind of navigating that, right? Someone is talking and you're thinking about what you're going to say. To some degree, this is okay and natural. We can't have long pauses between every turn. You know, that's, that's not getting in sync. But it becomes, I think, especially challenging um, when we're confronted with more difficult situations that we we do kind of throw a switch and say, now I am making a complete switch to this mode of seeking to understand, you know. But that, that can have to do with maybe the first skill set you're asking about is just determining the goal. Like, what am I listening for? Is it empathic support? Is it, uh, you know, just understanding that it's what helps people is connection so often instead of advice or fixing, or is it something else? So what's the goal? Uh, what is this person asking of me or need for me in this conversation can be kind of the first piece, I would think. That makes sense to you? Yeah. I mean, you, you find out if the person is going to want advice at the end or they just want to be heard and empathized with. But I think, I that think actually what active listening sounds like, it, it really reduces to three simple skills well simple to say not always easy to do but so we paraphrase content we mentioned this in the last episode we we give back to somebody in a concise way what we're hearing them say and we put it in our words so we're not just parroting back what they said but trying to get to the essence of things in a very concise term so you were always hoping for more from your mom as you're growing up that's what i'm hearing uh the second skill is called reflecting feeling and so if every time we communicate with people, there are two levels of meaning. One is the content level, which is the words and what they mean. And the second level is the relational level, which is all the nonverbal stuff, which is where the real quality of our relationship really, really is in the nonverbal piece. So with a paraphrase of content, we're, we're giving something back from the content level. Uh, with a reflection of feeling, we're giving something back on that relational level. So... Whatever we think we see in their face or whatever we think we hear in their voice, whether it's anxiety or sadness or excitement, we put that in words. So you seem worried about her or this is really bothering you or this is hard for you to talk about or you really, you really, you really care about her, I can see that. So whatever we see and then non-verbally we put words to that. And briefly I'll let you jump in here. The third one is just simply, and we'll come back to this I know, once again it's asking a powerful open question. 
which is typically a question that doesn't have, again, the second word is you. Do you, are you, will you, won't you, don't you? Those are closed questions that are looking for a really yes or no answer. But an open question starts with what or how or tell, tell me or explain to me or, or even the word why can be okay. It depends on how you use the word. It can be too intrusive to say why, but if we just have the right tone, why can be how a good open question starts. So paraphrase content, reflect, reflect feeling, asking a relevant open question that uh, re yeah. requires the thought of saying, what do I really need to know now? What do we need to know at this point in the conversation that really does take a lot of wisdom? Yeah. Um, so I guess the first two are very similar to me in terms of um, the, the difference is, is your one's a response to a feeling about something. And the, the first is the thing that a feeling would be about, which is the content. Um, so those, those seem very, um, I, I like to think of it as like mirroring. So we talked about that a little bit last mm -hmm. episode with, uh, Daniel Goleman that you, you kind of mirror someone when you're in sync with them, when you're totally engaged with them. And so I guess this listening skill kind of implies that there's maybe like a problem. Um, a lot of times when people are concerned about listening, it is because there's like a, a, there's a, like a problem to be solved or a relationship to be, uh, mended or maintained or, or grown or deepened. Um, but the, the first two are very similar to me. The one that I think is very helpful for me is asking open questions. Uh, it was in, not only in, in areas of my life where the, there are problems, but also in ones where I'm, you know, just generally curious or just generally growing a relationship, uh, whether it's like in business or my personal life or, or wherever it is. So, um, I like to think of it as like asking a question where the response can't be yes or no, or like this thing or that thing, or it, it, re it re involves, uh, uh, some sort of um, it involves more information than that I think so one of the questions that I thought was really helpful I, I heard this at a conference one time it was uh, the situation would be someone like presents you with a story or something or like something they've done or something they're working on and the response the open ended question um, well actually it was kind of like a pre-question to an open ended question and it was are you looking for compliments or feedback as sort of uh, like a, a pre-open question. And so I've found questions like that helpful when it's hard to determine what exactly is like going to be most beneficial right now. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe I'm not as intuitive as other people, but sometimes when I ask like, you know, what's going to be most helpful for, for you right now? Do, do you want someone mostly just to listen to you? Are you looking for empathy? Are you looking for a distraction? Do you like our, are you looking for something else? Encouragement, like figuring out what that is and then being able to go from there has been super helpful for me. And then the open questions that, that follow are, are very insightful as well. Yeah. I like that. I, I've thought, um, in terms of how to have deep conversations, how to have spiritual conversations, let's say, I think that just it's really not rocket science. It's just asking the right question that takes a conversation, turns it to something important. So if I'm counseling someone, I'll ask questions like, so where is God in all of this? 
Or, so what's happening to your faith right now as you think about this? Or even just tell me your favorite hymn verse that gets you through this. Or tell me a scripture that, you know, that's that's helpful to you or comforting to you. Because I, you know, as counselors, we are directive. We, we do have things to say to people. But it really is, there is something about pulling the answers from the person. That there there's something about how it's really going to be theirs. They'll, they'll, they'll own it more fully. When we, when we access their faith with questions like that. And, you know, again, it's not not rocket science, but it's just kind of recognizing the power of these questions, you know. Um, does that make sense? Am I kind of... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think even in, in like, uh, say I'm in, like, a business meeting or a pitch or something where, I mean, the question, does this excite you, is, like, a yes or no. But if you can ask, like and you're in a position to, to say, look, what excites you or what would excite you about X, Y, or Z? That's a much more powerful question it because it just, it draws so much more out. It, there's more on the table. It, the closed, closed questions are like a closed loop. It takes no effort to answer them. And so it, it, the, the open questions really sort of demand participation not that that's usually a, the problem, but it's that's I think why they're impactful is because it it like it goes both ways, where where now it, it's going to be more difficult to answer this question, but it's going to be beneficial towards advancing um, the conversation. I agree. So, People can treat yeah. closed questions as if they're open. They can say yes or no, and then kind of go spieling about it. <coughs> but the open question really gives you much more ability to, to to take the conversation to important places. I agree completely. Yeah. <coughs> Can you edit out my coughing, John, or is that excuse you. Uh yeah, that was at <coughs> one hour, seven minutes, forty eight seconds. So Okay. Um, I remember one time I was talking to a, a, this was years ago and I'll I'll disguise the details here because I, I don't want to be sharing stories from private conversations without being very careful. So she was uh, contemplating what to do about her relationship with a with an atheistic boyfriend. And um, at some point, you know, she was acting she was acting or presenting as if she was just so so confused by the situation, doesn't know what in the world to do and she she said if God would if God would just give me a sign. I wish he would just give me a sign. I remember asking her the question open question was what happens to your faith? if you stay with this man, you know, and without missing a beat, she says nothing good. And I thought, boy, you want a sign from God when your own conscience is speaking to you that clearly. And, but, but yeah, some of those questions are just really, really powerful for opening things up or for taking them to helping a person to get to an insight that uh, maybe, you know, for her, she's, she's evading it. She's. It's more convenient to pretend that she's confused by things when the answer yeah, is just and so there the, clear. The closed question is like, "Do you stay with this person or not?" And so that's like, if that is the, if it's hard to answer that question, then there's mu- there's something much deeper going mm-hmm. on. I think. So. And sometimes we come across these things accidentally. I remember talking to somebody, and way at the end of an hour, just something made me say, "So tell me, tell me about your dad." I think she'd mentioned him earlier in some passing reference. Tell me about your dad. 
And just the look that came over her. Here we, we're packing up our books and ready to say goodbye. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, now we're finally starting this conversation. Because just to say, this is not the easiest thing to get down to what's really going on, going on with people. Clearly, this was burdening her, but she didn't. She wasn't able to bring it up until the right question was asked, you know. So that's not a prideful story. It took me an hour to get to the issue, <laughs> you know. But the, the open question yeah. is simply tell me about your dad. That's just wide open and. Yeah. It has the quality of people will answer a question like that differently every time because it just it causes you to go inside and, and reflect on things. Yeah. So one of the things that – and maybe this will help, be helpful to talk about because I try to you know, paraphrase content or reflect feeling or, or do some of these things is um, there are maybe some pitfalls – that I fall into, and I guess maybe this falls into the like the listening barriers that we talked about earlier. But there are some times where, like, I am perhaps misguided in my uh, eagerness to understand, and and so I I maybe go too far down, um, like asking questions or trying to figure out more about the situation, or um, and then trying to relate those things. And if it's gone too far, sometimes I I think I'm in error in that like the real problem wasn't like figuring out more about what the situation was. It was just like being there to hear it was the more important thing in that I had been. Um, yeah, I think sometimes I can go a little too far. So maybe what are some things that we can do to, or some like guidelines or principles to, to see what uh, like to kind of, error check yourself as you're as you're going going through that not to be quantitative about it and but to um like what are some good things to be aware of i guess yeah i'm not totally sure where to take that i i tend to think with reflecting feeling and paraphrasing content it's probably less is more i mean i can think of examples when those kinds of turns i've given a couple already were just incredibly significant, but it isn't something, you know, we do every time the turn comes back to us. Um, I think people can, it can feel artificial and people can feel like we're playing their counselor, for example. You know, yeah. if we kind of overuse a limited skill set. I don't know, what do you think? Do you have <clears throat> your own yeah, answer I think to that, your question? That's probably what it is, probably... Um I mean, like always in retrospect, it's like, okay, I probably could have asked a better question at this point, mm -hmm. or I could have, um, uh, reflected more simply at this point right. or, or something. And so maybe it's just a, like, a something to develop is just to go back and, and say like, yeah, less is more. And I suppose, I suppose, and, yeah. And to go from there. Part of the answer is to have a reason for it the skills so understanding what the skills are doing so we paraphrase content just to kind of think through the possible objectives one is just to check our perceptions so if the story is complex enough you know we're just making sure we're getting it right so your aunt said this to you she says no my mom said it or so you're feeling frustrated no she says no i'm really worried is what i'm feeling and so you know, communication can break down in all kinds of ways so partly we're just trying to make sure we're, communication is happening yeah. truly happening and it's accurate and that you're gaining the proper picture. Sometimes sure. there's an axiom that the way you see a problem is the problem. So the way you see a problem is a problem. It could be 
that the reason I paraphrase content back to you is just to let you see it objectively. So if I have yeah. this right, you're saying a person with this or that struggle is worthless. Do I have that right? Because that's what you're saying to me. And so I give it back to this person in a way that lets her look at it and realize she is saying that. And but is it really what she want to be? What she wants to be saying is it accurate? You know. So what are we doing this for? We're in a less is less is more kind of way. We're communicating sometimes how hard we're trying that we really truly are in this with them. You know. If I say to you, okay, so your mom was this way and you were looking for that and if nothing else that tells you boy this guy's really trying if i do it too much you might say to me i just told you that why are you, you know why are you feeding it back to me i just told you yeah but you know done meaningfully it's just communicating you truly have my full attention right now in this moment and if i happen to get it right if i can really put good words my own words but good words to your experience and what you're feeling and thinking and going through, I mean, we're on our way toward profound empathy, right? If I and can I found give the right also, words to it, yeah. then, and then, then, yeah, I then we're giving that gift we talked about earlier, that gift of being really seen by someone else and yet accepted. For sure. Sorry, I think we were talking over each other on Zoom for a second there oh. with the delay. But um, <laughs> no, I think in the times that I've been uh like ran into a problem using any of these tactics i think the the response is much more forgiving than not paying attention or not listening as effectively as possible well so it's much easier to be like i'd rather err on the side of like being too engaged or or being misguided in that realm than to be you know multitasking or like oh sorry what did, what did you say or like like not not being fully there is usually a much um more grievous uh, error. Yeah, so very well put. Um, I remember taking this course on interpersonal helping skills at Mankato, and the professor just she was kind of arrogant, but she really did teach me that there's something to this kind of strenuous effort to understand. So we would do exercises in class in which we'd listen to each other, and then there'd be a videotape of our conversation on the screen for the whole class to analyze, and we go through all this. And, for example, one time after we watched a video of somebody listening and trying to apply these skills, um, she would just say, can I try? And she would approach the person who had been talking on the video about her problems, whatever. And she would just ask one question, and it would just cut right to the core of everything. One time I remember, I remember it was, we just listened to this long, rambling conversation, went nowhere about this girl's struggles with her parents. And then the professor took over afterwards and said, her name was Goodwin, I think. And she said, Goodwin, I just have one question for you. And she said, who put you in charge of your parents' happiness? And uh, when she said this, this, this woman just, just completely fell apart. And the professor in her arrogance kind of looked up at the class and said, do you think we got to our issue? I think we got down to it. You yeah. Know? <laughs> you know, but, uh, Are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> who put you in charge? She's, I remember her saying, no, I really want to know. Who, who did that? Who put you in charge? And um, is it God? Was it you? Was it your parents? Let me tell me. And that was her example of something she called keeping it in the room, which is not just maintaining confidentiality. But it was really about, let's not have an hour-long conversation about everything out there, outside of this room. Like, let's talk for an hour about why your parents fight, for example. She said, no, let's, let's have it be about this person in front of me. 
And uh, what you and I would say is, what, what would God have her know? What would God have her believe? What would God have her do? What would God have her think? It's about her, not things outside the room, you know. And so I guess what I'm saying is I just I learned from that class that there really is something to this, and that it really does draw on, draw on the very heights of our wisdom to ask questions like that that get down to a set of issues surrounding identity or responsibility or sin and grace or whatever it might be, that uh, by the application of these skills, we can really we can really do some real good for people. But if we're just going to skate in the surface and never take the time to even know what's, what's sitting in front of us, then, uh, you know, not so much. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to just add, too, that these are really powerful tactics to use when, even when, like in the absence of a problem, when you're working towards something or... Um, absolutely. I guess that would be a problem, too. But, like, when it's more, less about solving something that's pre-existing and more about generating something that's new and exciting is just as powerful. Um, to like have a, a question that's um, just as invigorating. Um, and maybe you're not breaking down and crying, but like it cuts right to the <laughs> core of like, why are we here and why are we doing this? And like, w- what's the purpose behind it? So, yeah, I'm glad you said that. I gravitate toward counseling things and supporting things, supportive yeah. situations, but you're totally right. Totally right. Yeah. There's, it's like, it's a superpower, really. Just, in all in all situations, the the ability to listen and then, um, I guess I guess we've we've kind of lumped in open ended questions into as a, as like a listening skill, even though it involves speaking. But I think it it necessitates the listening uh, to a, mm-hmm. a degree that you wouldn't otherwise have. So a, yeah, I would say just, it, uh, it is an, yeah. it is an active listening skill. Active listening being the key. It's it's not just sitting there the saying same, nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In the same way that humor uh, necessitates that kind of awareness and withitness in a in a room. So in the same way, open questions. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, let's go back to just briefly, maybe not briefly. We'll see. But uh, the reflecting feeling. We've talked about paraphrasing content and open questions is the is the big deal. So reflecting feeling is not something I do every day either. But uh, I remember one time talking to a person who was, this was years and years ago again, but she really struggled with uh, with being depressed and anxious and things like that. I mean, just really severe struggles. I remember just making the observation of, after talking to her many times, made the observation that if I would ask her a question like, what's your... What's your favorite Bible story? What's, what story of Jesus is helping you right now? You would just watch her. Her whole mood would lift up. You know, she had had the affect of, you know, can't meet my eyes and, and you know, just really subdued in her communication and long pauses. And you could see all the markings of someone that was quite depressed. But you ask a question like that, you would just watch her, her mood just change. And then you would ask a question about how she's feeling and her mood would go, would sink back down. And so it just became a, I think, a really important insight for her when I pointed it out to her. It's kind of a reflection of feeling to say, here's what I see in you when, when I ask you about Jesus. And here's, here's what I'm watching in your face when I do that. And so as a huge part of how she copes with her challenges is to realize that her, her thoughts need to be on Jesus. That's what, that's what uh, makes her come alive and that's what gets her through that's what restores her and when her thoughts go back to herself 
that's when the the sadness takes over again. And so it's just, it's kind of an extended example of the, the usefulness of really noticing the nonverbals of people we're listening to, noticing and sometimes even commenting on them. So it's a rather yeah. dramatic example of that, but, but uh, you've thought about that, what reflection of feeling does for people? To say you're really yeah. worried about her right now. I mean, just how I that's guess functioning. Maybe not in, yeah, maybe not in that, um, well, yes, in that context, but where it really resonates for me, I guess, is in the classroom, um, especially the nonverbals. Sorry, I think there's a snowblower right outside my house right now. It's okay. Um, uh, so if you hear that, that's, uh, that's what that is. Um, so the, the nonverbal aspect, I think, is, uh, I mean, that's something that I studied in depth um, in the classroom oh, that's uh, right. setting. Yeah. And, and so um, just how important the subtle things that you do, whether intentional or not, in front of a classroom or things that a teacher does in front of a classroom um, that are communicating whether or not it's uh, intended that way, uh, students hear it. They hear the way that you say something, the tone in your voice, the demeanor that you have, um, your posture, the the attitude they have towards you is inferred from that. And I mean, my research was specifically looking at, you know, how do students infer um, what the teacher's uh, thoughts about their self-efficacy are in the classroom? Like, does the teacher think I can actually, you know, achieve anything in this class? Like they infer that and then they pass that on and generate that those same thoughts in themselves and which is you know that was what my research was was kind of showing the the pathways that that took um and it was it was kind of quantitative in that it was following a model and there was mathematics and there was all these things but i think the more important thought was like people see the nonverbals, um and they're important they um they they say a lot about what a person is going through what they're what they think about you, what they think about a situation they're talking about, whatever the, the context is, the nonverbals are important. They reflect emotion. And so being able to reflect that in a, in a more, um, like in a context that you were talking about, mm -hmm. I think is, uh, is, is beneficial. That's really good. So the reflection of feeling, what is, what is that turn doing? It's saying, I'm attending to the entire person in front of me. Not just taking their words and taking them literally, <coughs> but but seeing the person behind them. That's really good. And now I'm like I'm even taking this further. Now I'm thinking about like my research specifically because I'm saying, um, in that like what would it mean for a teacher to be super attentive to the nonverbals of their students? I mean that I think is something that I wasn't specifically studying, but being able to for to like hear what's going on in the, in the classroom. Um, I mean, air quotes around here, right there, but like mm -hmm. to listen to like the, not only what the kids are saying, but like how their demeanor is. I think that like that sort of with itness is, uh, is really valuable. Yeah. So I like the term with itness in like a conversational realm too. I think it was coined in education, but I like using it in like a, a more casual conversational area too. Just like, a general awareness of like what's going on to be like so zoned in that you can see all of the nuances in the, in the way that the person appearing you mm -hmm. in front of you is, is, um, giving off. Very good. I, uh, I, I like that. Quick yeah. story for that. I, I read a transcript of a conversation between a father and a boy. Apparently it was his first day of school. 
kindergarten. And the boy says, I'm not going to go to school today, Dad. <laughs> and I know what I would have said. I would have said, oh, yeah, you are. Or maybe would have asked my daughter, why don't you want to go to school? The why question, which doesn't always work. But the transcript is every single turn the father took was a reflection of feeling. So the boy says, I'm not going to go to school today, Dad. And the dad says, you don't want to go to school today. And the boy says, are there big kids there? And instead of answering, the dad says, you're afraid there's going to be big kids at school. And the boy said, sometimes they hit you. And the, da the dad says, you're afraid of getting hit today. And the boy says, and sometimes they don't let you play with them. And the dad says, that makes you feel lonely just thinking about it. And just every turn the dad took is just reflecting back what the son is feeling. At the end of the transcript, I mean, you can tell this boy is just opening up and opening up and opening up. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. That, that turn, less is more, that kind of turn, less is more. But it can have that effect of helping a person to open up and, and maybe yeah. to enrich what they're communicating too, um, to have that feeling piece be part of it. At the end of the transcript, the dad just says, ready to go sport? The kid says, yep. <laughs> and off they go. Yeah. So, so I always, you know, from uh, the standpoint of growing as a communicator, one approach is just the repertoire approach, which is expanding the kinds of things I may think of to do when my turn comes. And there's a lot of people who have just never taken that kind of turn ever in their life where we just say, you're really worried. You know, and I just think it's cool yeah. to think of it that way. And but how do I help people open up when that seems like the right thing to be after? I think that's that's on the list. That reflection of feeling. absolutely, and I think it's really. I mean, we could probably talk in much greater detail about just how powerful that is for uh, like uh, child development. And like I've I've heard of that as a strategy just for like you know there's a temper tantrum, is just to only repeat like only to mirror not as like a copycat sort of way but in the same way that the the father was in the transcript mm -hmm. as just a way of like allowing them or creating space for them to to process what they're what they're going through and then to not i mean i guess with the eventual purpose of of settling down but i think the more important purpose in that situation is to um create the space for the the child or the adolescent to to process the emotions that they're going through and then to deal with them in a, in a, an effective way. And speaking of Goldman, I mean, that boy's going to grow up and be emotionally intelligent. I would, I would think that'd, Absolutely. Be, that'd be my theory. Yeah. He knows what he's feeling and what those things are called. And like what yeah. Mr. Rogers calls the inner drama of childhood, which is, you know, the, yeah. the things that kids experience that may look trivial to the adult, but they're not, you know? So I feel like we've been at this quite a while, John. Should we? Yeah, I think uh, it's been almost an hour and a half. So oh we're <laughs> we're we're giving a master class on listening sure to our listeners. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. Do you have any closing thoughts that you want to to add to this? Yeah, for a dessert. Um, I was just thinking about kids and how this applies to kids, and I'm no expert, but I, I remember one time my daughter. I don't know how old she was, maybe five years old, and she's just kind of chattering. And, you know, as an parent, you can just tune that stuff out. But in the middle of all her chattering, I heard her say, you really can cry yourself to sleep. <laughs> she just said little <laughs> sentence. And I'm just so glad I heard it. Like, that was just so fascinating. Like, what did you, when did you do that? What, what were you crying yourself to sleep over? And, and so listening to kids is an application. My daughter gave me a book. She went through my class, which was really fun to have my own kid in class. 
But then at the end of the class, or my next uh, birthday, whatever, she gave me a book called The Rabbit Listened. And talk about how to translate this stuff to the level of kids. It's just a brilliant book with really sweet illustrations of a, a boy that builds a tower and someone knocks it over. And, and all these other animals come up and, let's fix this. And another animal comes up and says, let's shout about this. And, and uh, <clears throat> way at the end, this little rabbit comes up and doesn't say a word, but the boy can feel his presence beside him. It doesn't say a word. And, you know, before you know it, the little boy is doing all those things. You know, but the book is called The Rabbit Listened, and I think it's it's just brilliant. It's just a brilliant way of, again, translating to the level of a child um, what we do for people. So anyway, that's my dessert. It's just to oh, I love it. think about how I mean, this we applies could, to kids. We could have a whole series on, like, the power of stories in unique situations like that where, I mean, I think of Winnie the Pooh has a few moments that – that echo that same sort of sentiment where oh totally it's 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 not about you know let's solve the problem it's just like you know piglet and poo are sitting on a log or or eeyore i think is also really great at at just like look i'm just going to be here right now with you and and there's room for like for everyone to you know each character has such a different personality you know tigger sometimes Sometimes he needs to be calmed down a little bit, or sometimes it's it's worth you know trying to get someone excited about something. So no, you're um, right. Yeah, those are great. The relationship of Pooh and Piglet is just profound. There are things they say to each other. You just can't even believe it. I hope, yeah. I just opened this book. The rabbit listened and came across the page. Through it all, the rabbit never left. It's just so. It's just really sweet. Through it oh, all, man. the rabbit never left. When the time was right, the rabbit listened to Taylor's plan to build again. I can't wait, Taylor said. <laughs> That's how it ends. So, awesome. you got dessert too? You got yeah, something? I do have a dessert, and it is totally unrelated to anything we've been talking about. It's a, it's a short story that's been on my mind um, by Ursula K. Le Guin. I don't know if I'm saying her name correctly, um, but it's a, like an eight-page story called the ones who walk away from Omelas. And it's about, uh, it's kind of like a, like this picturesque description of a city that's in kind of this uh, subdued perpetual happiness, I would describe it as. And the the author just kind of goes on about like how this city is, um, like there's festivities and blah, blah, blah. This is happening, this is happening. But it's kind of like this utopia but at the same time, um, it goes on to explain that um, – actually, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of torn. Have you heard of this story before? I have not. Like, I, I don't know. If, no, I have not. Okay. Um, so I would encourage everyone to read it. It, it takes all but a few minutes. Um, I've read it over and so over again. So say the but title again. Something, say it again. The ones, the ones who walk away from Omelas. O-M-E-L-A-S. Got it. And uh, – Omelas. I'm looking it up now. Omelas might be the way that you pronounce it. Um, anyway, so it was, uh, yeah, I think Salem, Oregon backwards is how she got the name for it. But, um, so yeah, there's something about the city, uh, like a deep secret. It kind of has like this feeling of like the giver where like, you know, once you get a certain age, everyone finds out like, this certain thing or like what's going on or like, Oh, you can lie now or some, some 
moment of life, like coming of age thing that you, you get to, to hear about. And there's something, um, like deep and dark inside the city that is allowing it to exist in this state of happiness. And I won't say what it is. I don't want to give away too much, but just the idea that there's these people wrestling with, um, you know, some terrible thing is happening and that's why I can live in happiness right now. And, and some people kind of like forget about it. They go on with the festivities and they just kind of live their life. But then there's a few who just can't, who can't handle that. And then they, they walk away, they leave the city. I think it ends like, and no one knows where they're going. Um, uh, oh, yeah, here, here's, the last, here's the last words. The place they go towards is a place even less imaginable to most than the city of happiness. I cannot describe it at all. It is possible. It does not exist. But they seem to know where they are going, the ones who walk away from Omelas. So I don't know. If you want like a little interesting, thought-provoking short story to, to contemplate, perhaps by the fire with a <laughs> cup of hot cocoa, or something stronger. A great story. Great. That's my dessert. It's on so. my list. It's on my list, John. Great. Thank you. Sorry I backed away from the awesome. mic there. Awesome. No, that's all right. Um, yeah, we certainly went quite a while on this one. <laughs> Plenty of... So, thanks to any you, listeners you might, that have made it this far. If you made it this far, you win. What have they won, John? You, just, you win. <laughs> you, they just win. <laughs> I just... There's... And they know it, too. All right. <clears throat> so... Should we call that good? Yeah. Are you still... I'm still... Okay, I'm going to stop recording. In three, two, one, cue the music.